What's up everyone? Good morning and welcome to our Water's Edge online Sunday morning worship experience. Once again, thank you so very much for hanging out with us today and tuning in. For those of you that continue to like and share these online digital experiences with your circle of influence, thank you so very much for doing that. Continue to do that. We have people tuning in from all over the place. Also, for those of you that continue to worship with us through generosity and giving online and meeting our two our new $10 challenge, thank you so very much for doing that. That allows us to help more people, love more people, feed more people, and serve more people. In fact, our next food pantry is coming up next week, and we expect to bless and help a lot of people from our community on that day, all because of you worshiping with us through generosity. Also, stay tuned for right after my message for a time of worship Worship with the amazing Water's Edge Band. Today we finally finish up with our current series entitled The Investigation. I studied this information from Pastor Andy Stanley. It meant so much to me that I thought I would share it with you. And like we all know that when you investigate, you have to do some digging. And as we move on and finish up with part six today in this series today, this is what we're diving into. And this is what we're digging into. We're asking and answering this question. If we're going to take the mystery of Jesus Jesus seriously, the mystery of knowing Jesus and following Jesus and loving Jesus and loving people and serving Jesus and serving people seriously, then we have to understand and ask and answer this question. What was his invitation? What was his real invitation for you and for me and for everyone all throughout history? What was Jesus inviting us to do? What type of life was he inviting us to live? Now, all throughout the scriptures, the first disciples and the first followers made this very, very clear over and over and over again. In fact, right after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus before he ascended back to be with the Father, one day he took Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain and on top of that mountain they saw Jesus in his glorified state also with Moses and Elijah and later on in Peter's life this is what he wrote about that very experience, a real life experience for him. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. Notice this today. For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. With our own eyes we saw that when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain, we saw this, we experienced this, we heard this, we were eyewitnesses. No myth, no fable, no fairy tale, no religion, no tradition, no made-up story. This was reality and this was a very real relationship with God, a very real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're just joining us for this series called The Investigation, let me give you some background. In this series, we've been looking at the, at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we pointed this out. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing their Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, they had no idea that they were writing something that would one day be considered a part of the Bible, one day considered religious literature, one day considered a part of the scriptures. When they were writing their gospels about the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the service of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus, they were just writing down what they saw with their very own eyes, heard 
with their very own ears and experienced with their very own lives. And we talked about this. The question to wrestle with is not, is God real? Or is God really there? Or is God out there? Or is there something to this relationship with Jesus thing? That's not the question to wrestle with. The question to ask is this. Are the four Gospels actually reliable accounts of the life of Jesus? And we believe that they are. Because even if they're somewhat reliable, then we must take following Jesus very, very seriously. Because if they are reliable, then Jesus was who he claimed he was. He is who he claimed he is. And we have to take following him very seriously. Even Luke, because we've been in the Gospel of Luke, even Luke started off his Gospel in this way that many people have set out. Many people have set out to write the accounts of the life of Jesus. And they wrote many things about Jesus. And he said that we were all eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. And we just documented this down. Now, a question. Why would we follow Jesus today? And is there something to this Jesus thing and this relationship with Jesus today? And when it comes to investigating the faith, do we believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? Several years ago when I lived in Starks around Christmas time, one time I drove to Beaumont and I went to the mall to do some Christmas shopping. That tells you how long ago that was. It was right around the early 90s, the early 2000s. This was back before everyone did their shopping on Amazon Prime. So I went to the mall in Beaumont. Starks was kind of like right in the middle. You could be in Lake Charles at the mall in 35 minutes or you could be in Beaumont at the mall in 35 minutes. And so on this day, I went to Beaumont. I was shopping there. And on my way home on the interstate back to Starks, Starks is right over the Texas border coming into Louisiana. This person in a car gets right up behind me and they start following me and they start waving me over. I had no idea who they were. I was, I was kind of scared. I thought maybe I cut them off on accident and they were going to beat me up or maybe my car threw a rock and it busted their windshield and they were upset with me. But they kept waving for me to pull over. I got off the interstate thinking, hoping that I was the wrong person. When I got off my exit, they got off the same exit. I went through Orange. I went through Deweyville, Texas. I crossed the border into Starks. They followed me the whole time, honking, waving, asking me to pull over. And I thought, man, if I could just make it home, they're going to see I am not who they think I am. So I drive all the way to my house. They follow me all the way on my bumper, honking, asking me to pull over. And I thought, well, this is where it ends. This is where I'm going to die. I'm going to die in the front yard of my home in Starks. This is a hatchet murderer. They're about to kill me. And so then I thought, well, I'm going to go all the way to my house. And once they see the driveway that I pull into and the house that I pull up to, that's when they're going to understand that I am not who they think I am. They're going to keep driving. Nope, that's not what happened. I pulled into my driveway. I pulled up to my house. They pulled right up behind me. When I get out of my car, they get out of their car. And this is what the guy says. Hey, Derek, how you been? I said, man, my name's not Derek. My name's Tony. He goes, stop playing. I know it's you, Derek. I haven't seen you in a long time, but how you been? I said, hey, man, I'm not Derek. I'm Tony. He goes, Derek, stop playing. I know it's you. I said, hey, man, I'm not Derek. My name's Tony Bork. I pastor the church right down the road. My dog right here, her name is Foxy. I am not who you think I am. He goes, are you sure you're not Derek? I said, I am sure I am not Derek. My name is Tony. He goes, well, sorry about that. See you later. And he got in his car and he drove away. Now, I could have played along with him that day. I could have said, hey, man, it is me, Derek. Haven't seen you in a long time. Why don't you come inside? Don't you owe me some money or something? Let's have some lunch. But I didn't do that. I could have been Derek to him. 
and Tony to everyone else. But I didn't do that because Tony is who I am. But many times we do that in our relationship with God. Many times we do that in our walk with Jesus. It's like we're Derek to him and we're Tony to everyone else. Or sometimes it's like we follow Jesus with this part of our life, but we don't follow Jesus with every part of our life and every part of our heart. Now, when we think about the story of Jesus, we have to understand, we have to get, we have to see that what happened at the end of the story with Jesus set him apart from all the other wannabe messiahs. What happened at the end of the story with Jesus helps us understand the entire story of Jesus. And so this is how the end of the story of Jesus begins. We move on today in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, if you're still with me, Sam Stewart with you. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and one on his left. If you'll notice, there aren't many details in the gospels about crucifixion. It just says to take up your cross. It just says that someone was crucified, Jesus, two other criminals, but it doesn't really tell you all the details about crucifixion. We find that in other parts of historical writings. And the reason why is because because everyone back then had seen crucifixions from the Romans and they had seen so many of them and they were so awful that they really didn't want to see another one. Everyone back then knew all the details of crucifixion. It was a way to torture you and keep you alive in pain and dying for as long as possible. It was the most painful way to die. It was the most awful way to die. In fact, right after the resurrection of Jesus, the cross was not the early symbol of Christianity. That would have been like walking around with an electric chair on your t-shirt talking about your faith. It was public execution back then. Back then the ichthus, the fish was the first sign of Christianity. But back then they didn't need any more details of crucifixion because they had all seen so many. And so they crucified Jesus and then from the cross Jesus says something so remarkable and so unsettling that it stuns the crowd. And it's actually the example that we're all called to follow. It's the invitation that we're all invited to give our lives to. It was stunning, but it also makes sense. It was stunning, but it also made sense because Jesus died how he lived. Let me say that again. He died how he lived. And it's actually the example and the invitation that he's calling all of his disciples to follow all throughout history. He invites us to not be like those people that don't like us. He invites us to not be like those people that treat us harshly. He invites us to not be like those people who threaten us, who project their insecurities onto us. He invites us to not be like those people who hurt other people and manipulate other people. He invites us to not be like those people who mistreat other people and who get revenge and who can't control their anger, who cannot control their reactions and their impulses. Notice what he does from the cross, Luke chapter 23, verses 34 through 38. Notice this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He's hanging on the cross. He knows we all put them, him, him there. And this is what he says. Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, if he's really the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then they put a sign above his head that said this was Jesus, king of the Jews. Now, when you see this happen today, 
When you see someone forgive and love like this today, and when someone loves you and forgives you like this today, and you have no idea if you deserved it or not, it's stunning, but it also is very humbling. And the cross teaches us this, because the cross also teaches us that we would, we would not and we should not react the way the world reacts. The cross teaches us to love and forgive just like Jesus. But it also shows us and it gives us the example to never react the way the world reacts. When Jesus calls us to live like this, this is why we know. And this is when we know and remember this today, that Jesus has more people that admire him instead of follow him. Jesus has more admirers today instead of followers because when we finally understand that Jesus calls us into a life of forgiving and loving no matter what, a life of controlling our reactions and our impulses, a life of giving up our life to follow him, that's when we finally get it. That's when we finally understand Jesus has many more admirers than followers. But when you see someone today who reacts and loves and forgives like this, then you know they follow Jesus. They don't just admire Jesus. And Luke actually documents this invitation, the invitation that Jesus gave with his life for our life. He gave with his life for our life. And it was actually at the end of the story that helps us understand all the other stories like this, like we're about to look at. It was what happened at the end of the story on the cross as Jesus was being murdered and executed publicly when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It helps us understand statements like this, Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you were lost or destroyed? Give up your reactions, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Give up your impulses, give up your anger, give up your unforgiveness, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Give up your need to put yourself first, give up your pride, give up your feelings and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, that phrase, to give up your life and give up your own way to take up your cross back in the days back in the days of Jesus this is what it meant and notice this today if you're still with me Sam still with you it meant to give up your independence spiritually in your heart give it up depend on God now for your hope and strength take up your own cross and give it up depend on God now for your purpose and direction Take up your own cross and give it up. Depend on God now for your forgiveness, for your soul, for your future, for your significance in life. Take up your own cross and give it up. This is what divides an admirer of Jesus from a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is what separates the two even more. This is what separates people who admire Jesus from people who follow Jesus even more. And notice this today. We do all of this daily. We give up our own way into the life of Jesus daily. We take up our own cross and we deny ourselves 
every single day. Not a one-time decision, but we do this daily as followers of Jesus Christ. Admirers do it every now and then just to get the guilt off of their back. But true followers and disciples of Jesus Christ do this every single day. Do you and I follow Jesus in this way? Do we follow Jesus in this way? Does this describe our relationship with God and how we follow him? Do we give up our pride daily and follow him? Do we give up our reactions and our impulses and our lack of self-control daily and follow him? Do we give up our grudges and our unforgiveness and our independence and our bitterness daily? Do we give up our temptations daily and follow Jesus? Listen, something else that Jesus points out is very, very important. And notice this, that whatever you cling to in this life eventually loses its value. That's why he said, if you try to save your life for your sake, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. You say, Tony, what in the world does that mean? This is what it means. And notice this today. It means following Jesus with your life is what helps you. It's the only thing that helps you find true purpose and significance in this life. If you want to find true significance in this life, if you want to find true purpose in this life, then you have to give up your life to following Jesus because everything else that you cling to in this life eventually loses its value. Our stuff will fade away. Our money will fade away. Our image will fade away. Our reputation will fade away. Our plans will fade away. Even some of our earthly relationships will fade away. But there's one relationship in this life that'll never fade away and it'll never lose its value. And that is the priceless and precious relationship that we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We cling to that. We hold on to that. We give up our life and our independence for that relationship because everything else in our life that we cling to one day will fade away and lose its value. Three times a week I take Jagger to basketball training at different places and most of the time on those nights he stays with me and I take him to school the very next morning. Well I live in downtown Lake Charles and Jagger goes to school in Moss Bluff. So on the mornings that I bring him to school we get up around 5.45 in the morning, we get ready and we try to leave the house about 6.25 to 6.30ish every single morning and get to Moss Bluff by about 6.50, 7 o'clock. So it gives me and Jagger a good... 30 minutes to talk, just to talk about life, talk about school, talk about sports, talk about faith, talk about integrity, all those important things. And not too long ago, last week, I don't know why, but last week, one morning when I was taking him to school, I felt the need to tell him to hold different things in his life in an open hand and in a closed hand. And I felt the need to tell him to not move too fast at the age that he is right now, he's about to be 14 in October, to not move too fast with his relationships that he has right now, with some of his friendships and some of his relationships, and to hold everything that is not crucial to his future in an open hand, and to only hold a few important things in his life in a closed hand, meaning there are certain things in his life at his age right now that's going to feel important to him at this time. But some of those things, in fact, most of them are going to fade away and let him down. Certain relationships, his stuff, his image, his feelings. So hold those things in his life with an open hand, which means hold them in your life, but let them slip away when they need to. 
Hold them in his life with an open hand, but if they go, let them go. Don't be devastated so much when the things that you were holding in this life that one day fade away anyway in an open hand leave your life. Don't try to close your hand and hold on so tightly to these things that aren't so important that one day fade away anyway with a closed hand because if you do, when they leave your life, it's going to devastate you and discourage you. So hold some of those things in an open hand, which means let them go if you need to go, and then hold only three things in your life in a closed hand. Hold everything that one day fades away in an open hand. Hold three things in this life with a closed hand, and anything that comes into your life that you're holding with an open hand that threatens what's in your closed hand or distracts what's in your closed hand or tries to destroy what's in your closed hand, let all those things fade away, let those things go, resist those things and push them out of your life immediately. And these were the three things that we were holding in a closed hand, your faith, your family and your future. These three things and in that order, your faith, your family, and your future. Hold these things in a closed hand, hold everything else in an open hand. And then I told him this last week on one of the mornings we were going to school after I told him all that. And I don't really know why I told him this besides God, but this is what I said. And notice this today, if you're still with me, Sam's still with you. I said, you're going to get discouraged when you lose some of the things that you're holding in an open hand, but don't dwell in your mind on that discouragement. Instead, dwell on hope, optimism, and new beginnings. Now, in my mind on that morning, I had no idea what was going on in his personal life. In my mind that morning, I thought I was telling him that about sports. Like if you have a bad practice, don't hold on to that. Don't camp out there in your mind. Don't let it discourage you. If you're having a game that doesn't go the way you want it to go, if you've had better games and you had a bad game, don't, don't dwell on that discouragement in your mind at this age. Don't camp out there. Just move on to the next challenge, the next practice, the next game. Work on what you need to work on to get better. Hold some things in an open hand. Hold other things in a closed hand and never dwell on discouragement because it'll just tear you apart on the inside. But what happened that day that I didn't know about after I had that talk with him at school was he experienced his first major breakup and his first major broken heart and it crushed him. It crushed his heart and it crushed his emotions. But he ended up okay. Over the next few days, we kept reminding him, you were holding all of that in an open hand anyway. You still have your faith, your family, and your future, even your future in sports. Focus on that, your future health, your future career. Focus on all those things and let all these things in an open hand slip away and don't camp out on this sadness and this discouragement in your mind because you were holding it in an open hand anyway. Don't camp out there, but this is where you camp out in your mind. Camp out on Jesus, camp out on how much he loves you, camp out on his plans for you, his future for you, your faith, your family, and your future. Let your mind focus on hope and optimism and on what's next. Focus on hope and how much God loves you, and not discouragement. Again, Luke 9, 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for the sake of Jesus, you will save it. Open hand and a closed hand. Open hand and a closed hand. 
Many times what we hold in an open hand and what we hold in a closed hand and what we allow to come into our life that threatens what's in our closed hand and what we force out of our life that's trying to tear down the most important things in our life like faith, family, and our future that we're holding on to, many times that decides what's an admirer of Jesus and what's in a follower of Jesus? We want to be followers of Jesus, not just admirers of Jesus. And this is how we do that. We deny ourselves daily. We take up our cross daily. And we give up our life for the life of Jesus every single day. And this is what makes us a disciple. Thank you so very much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. We absolutely love you. Stay tuned for some worship from the Water's Edge Band. We cannot wait to see you back next week.